You're listening to BuddhistGeeks.com. June 24th, 2007. Episode 25. It's like Phil Donahue. At 87, Nishijima Sensei, Brad Warner's teacher, loves the fact that he can blog. In this episode, Gwen Bell and Brad Warner discuss the pros and cons of using a tech factor to spread the Dharma. In the last few minutes of the episode, Brad Warner answers questions from the Buddhist Geek Sangha members. This is part three of a three-part series. This episode of Buddhist Geeks is sponsored by the Do No Harm Movement. To find out more about the Do No Harm Movement and to receive a free Do No Harm bumper sticker, please visit www.donoharm.us. Technology and beyond is what I'd like to talk about for the rest of the, okay. the talk. So, Buddhist Geeks, okay. we just had a <laughs> a um, discussion about the Buddha Dharma 2.0 and um, look, looking at mm. the ways uh, technology is actually perhaps putting a new twist on the Dharma or maybe uh, getting it, offering it to the world in a new way. What, what do you think the pros and cons are of, re, of uh, reaching your audience in particular through technology, YouTube, the Suicide Girls column, your blog, etc.? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's an interesting question. My, my, my Nishijima sensei is very into technology, and he loves the fact that he can blog. He has his own blog, you know, his 87-year-old Buddhist teacher. Uh, so he likes that a lot, and he he finds no difficulty just relating to students through emails and so on. But he's, you know, this is a guy who was born in 1919, so... In, and in in Japan, uh, so you know things like the telephone were were a big deal when he was a kid. You know, so so he's kind of watched this technology grow. Um, I I tend to see I tend to be a less optimistic, or I, I am very optimistic about it, but I tend to be less excited about it, I suppose. I don't know if excitement's really the word, but I kind of see the abuses of it, too, because it can, it, well, any technology can be abused. And Like, the first time I went on, you know, this is like, I don't know, 10 or 11 or whatever years ago when I first got connected to the internet, and I was like, oh, there's Buddhist chat rooms, that's interesting, and I started looking into them. And found was a lot of people pretending to be Buddhist masters to other people who pretended that they were. And and you could read what these people were writing, and they didn't know anything. They just read like a D.T. Suzuki book and were parroting whatever they'd heard there. So you can get you can get that, and there can be abuses, but there can be abuses to anything. So that's not really uh, saying anything about technology itself. I think it's inevitable that it's going to be spread this way. I mean, the, the, when Dogen was alive, the printing press hadn't even been developed, or maybe it had only just been developed. Um, so when people wrote something, they just copied it by hand and distributed it. But now we are used to having hundreds of years behind us of people printing books, and we don't think that that's a new thing anymore. But we should remember that if we go back in time to Buddha's day or Dogen's day, 
these these technologies didn't even exist. So that was a techno technological um, step that's taken, and this is just the the next one. So I don't think there's anything inherently bad about it. You just you just use it. Whatever whatever's um, whatever's placed in front of you, you you use it to <laughs> to do what you can. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. In your most recent Suicide Girl article, you said that knowing that you don't know is a really powerful thing. And um, I was recently talking with another Zen teacher about information and how different it is for those of us who grew up kind of in the Google era, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so we really do think we can learn in an instant, anything in an instant, thanks yeah. to Google or Wikipedia. And how is yeah. this kind of knowing different from what you're calling maybe capital K knowing? Yeah. Well, it's, uh, I, it kind of reminds me of something that, that I was thinking about writing about uh, too, which is um, I was just reading an article about the Left Behind series. There's a big article in the LA Times yesterday about the Left Behind series. And somebody had written that, or somebody had said that they were, they loved the Left Behind series because they're so thirsty for knowledge. The Left Behind is those books about, um, the tribulation, a bunch of novels about what will happen when Jesus comes to take the the saved back to heaven. Uh, but that kind of knowledge, you can just keep filling yourself up with that kind of knowledge infinitely. And that's, that is intellectual knowledge. And what Buddhism is about, there's this word prajna, which is often translated as wisdom. But people uh, imagine that this kind of wisdom is like super knowledge, you know, where you'll know every fact that there is to know. But it's not like that. It's it's a kind of intuitive wisdom which is beyond uh, that sort of knowledge. And when I say beyond, I don't mean that it's way out there, further and further uh, away from you. It's it's something that's very basic, but it's something that is more real than that sort of informational knowledge. You can just, you can load up your head with as much information as you want, and it'll never, it'll never be enough because information is just endless. Um, there's always something new out there, uh, which is nice, uh, but that's not the kind of understanding that Buddhism is after. Uh, we're kind of interested in something more intuitive or something that that isn't something that's in the realm of thought. It's in the realm of reality. I almost became a suicide girl myself and I I submitted the photos and everything, you know, the photo set. Uh, Yeah. I chickened out (laughs) at the last minute. Uh (laughs) Um, I have a lot of respect for those women. I, you know, just for being able to be in public, uh, in in a very, um, unclothed way. So (laughs) (laughs) literally, yeah. (laughs) So you talk about, uh, sex and sin in, uh, it's, it's like the juiciest chapter. Really? Well, you know, I I laugh a lot through the whole thing, but this one was particularly, um, particularly funny and just intriguing for me because you're, you say, if only we're talking about fantasies, if only I could Mm. find the perfect man, woman, stuffed antelope or suicide girl, (laughs) then I'd be (laughs) happy. No, you didn't write that. I added that. Okay. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Then I'd be happy, (laughs) which gives you the Uh, perfect excuse to mope around and miss out on all the real joy your life is offering you right this minute. Um, yeah. Learning to enjoy the fact that you cannot possibly have all the things you desire. Well, damn it. You know, <laughs> yeah. why can't I? 
So yeah. says the ego. Yeah, uh, I don't know. I, I that chapter was something originally. Um, are you still okay? That chapter was something I originally wrote uh, as an article that um, I wish I could remember it was Shambhala Sun or, or Sagazine had actually asked me to write about uh, sex and how it relates to the the Dharma, and I, I didn't really kind of have a feeling for it, so I uh, I did the chapter, and I, I think it turned out okay. But yeah, your desires, the, these kind of desires, people are, are really concerned about sexual desire. Whenever you say desire, that's the first thing that pops up into anybody's mind. It was the first thing that popped up to my mind. I mean, I first started studying Buddhism when I was 18. I'm an 18-year-old guy. I mean, is there anything else that an 18-year-old guy thinks about other than sex? So probably not. Um, but and so and so when I heard about this destroying desire, I'm like, oh my god, you know, what am I going to do? But it's really just um, Nishijima Sensei is very big on the idea that the secret to Buddhism is nothing to do with destroying desire. It's more about seeing desire for what it is. And everyone has desires. You just let them come. And if you let them come, they'll, they'll, they'll hang around for a while and they'll go away. That's just the nature of, of anything. So um, it's, not necessarily, it's not necessary to get really worked up about that kind of thing. Just seeing that you can't have everything you want um, is is a nice thing and and seeing that you don't need everything that you want uh, we live in this whole age of advertising where it's we've been indoctrinated uh, since we were little tiny children to believe that these things that are shown to us on television or magazines and so forth are things that we need um, and you don't really need all that stuff. And and just because Hugh Hefner has, has slept with everybody in the world doesn't mean that you have to sleep with everybody in the world, you know? It doesn't um it doesn't lead to happiness. Although although it's always presented to us as leading to great happiness. Um but you have to question that and you have to kind of look at your own life and say, Well where has that gotten me in the past? Um, and if you're honest about it, you can see that it really doesn't get you all the things that you think it will. Um, so just kind of getting beyond that. But I don't, I don't think it's necessarily to necessary. I keep saying necessarily when I want to mean necessary. Anyway, uh, it, I don't think it's necessary to always worry too much about uh, sex in particular. It's just one of the things. You know, somebody, I, I remember um, hearing about this conversation, somebody had gone to Nishijima Sensei with these very deep, troubling questions about sex, and the, and the answer they'd gotten from him is, you know, sometimes people want to have children, <laughs> you know, so, so it wasn't, it wasn't this big deal to him. And I started to, to notice that and I thought, well, maybe it isn't, maybe it isn't as big a deal as I'm making it to be. It's just something that because you're a, a, an animal, you know, you, you have hormones and so on, and these things come up and it's not, it's kind of a, a one of these holdovers from the old Christian way of looking at things to say that it's evil 
and it's wrong. And when, as you probably know from being in Japan, you're kind of confronted from a by a culture that never had that idea of sex as being evil. Um, and that was a bit of an eye-opener uh, to me as well, to, to find out that there's this big segment of humanity that never uh, had that idea. Um, they have a lot of other strange ideas, but, but, um, but they never had that particular one. And just to notice that that, that wasn't necessarily... Um, the word is otarimaya in Japanese, uh, just something you take for granted as being true, um, that sex equals evil. Um, and, it, you know, it, it's just a function. <laughs> yeah. Totally. Okay. Yeah. Well, I have a few questions from the audience, from readers. Uh, oh. Would you like to field a few? <laughs> sure. Wow. Okay. <laughs> I didn't what? know I was going to get... It's like Phil Donahue. <laughs> Okay. Would you expect anything less, you know what I'm saying, for Brett? Yeah. Come on. I mean, yeah. people are watching. Yeah, wow. Totally. I, okay. I forget that. Anyway, go ahead. <laughs> um, do you really think there is any hope for Zen in the West, or are we all just fucking around? We're all just fucking around. <laughs> no, <Yes. laughs> yeah, no. I think I think there's there's real hope for it because I think it's uh, something. It's it's realistic. And one of the things one of the things that happened to me when I went to Japan was I went to Japan as a guy who hated America. That was one of the reasons I left it. Um, as as sort of the big example of it, I was beaten up on the street you know the summer before i applied for the jet program and it was like oh screw this i'm not you know i want to go to a country where where people aren't attacked on the streets um and japan is is a country where people are not attacked on the streets um but uh so i had no real respect for america and when i first started listening to nishijima sensei talk he has this tremendous uh, respect for america um it, he really believes that american people have this realistic outlook uh sort of embedded in our culture a sort of pragmatism that a lot of other cultures don't have uh and and i think it's true uh and i think Buddhism and, and Zen in particular is extremely practical and extremely pragmatic and I think for that reason alone it's going to catch on but it'll take time you know everything takes time I may not live to see it really catch on but but I think it will okay the next question is a little bit harsh and uh, okay prepare yourself do you get tired of being ornery all the time <laughs> No, <laughs> no. <laughs> I should answer it really ornery. So I'm not though. That's that's the thing. What, what, the 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 funny thing is um, when I look at the things I a lot of people who come to see me talk or come to the sittings, um, they're like surprised that uh, that I'm not the person they expect me to be, and. I don't see this dichotomy when I, you know, I just write in a certain way that's that's funny to me. Uh, uh, most of the stuff that gets people mad on my blog or in my books is stuff that, to me, is is funny, um, and I'm I'm not uh, nearly as angry as as people think I am. I just like 
you know, I just kind of developing this style, and and I enjoy it, and and it makes me laugh. You know, I'm a really big fan of Peter Bag, who does the Hate comic. Do you know that one? I don't know, but it's a really good comic, and it, he stopped doing it, which is a shame. But, um, but his style is like that too, and 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 from what I understand, he's not nearly this kind of angry guy either. It's just, it's just, uh, you know, it's just a literary trick. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know. Totally. So. Okay, last question from the audience is... Okay. <laughs> if you had a chance to make more money doing Zen, would you quit the monster job? Hmm. <laughs> I never... <laughs> Who's offering? <laughs> how, how, much, <laughs> how, how much... How much are you offering? Yeah. Uh, I just don't... Um, it's an it's a interesting question, because I've thought about it uh, from time to time. Uh, I don't... I mean, I, I don't know how you can make money being a Buddhist teacher without um, compromising. On the other hand, uh, I've started to think of uh, having a career as a kind of public speaker, which which I don't feel guilty about uh, taking money for. I would I would feel bad about charging money to to teach. Zazen. In fact, I lose a lot of money uh, teaching zazen. Those those retreats that we do in Shizuoka are really expensive, and then and then people complain about the cost they have to pay without realizing how much me and Yuka, my wife, are paying uh, just to host the damn thing. But but I don't. That's not a complaint. It's just a fact. It's it's you you. It's a it's a money losing thing. It's not a very good economic thing. Um, but. Uh, you know, at some point, I may uh, not do the monster job and just uh, and just do like public speaking uh, and books. But I never get paid very much for my books either. It's it's pathetic. People people have this idea of authors uh, making lots of money because they you know because there's a few like Sidney Sheldon or or, uh, or um, what's the guy's name. Um, uh, Stephen King, you know, who who make bazillions of dollars, but most people who write books, you know, can hardly pay their rent. I certainly couldn't on on book, uh, on what I make on books. Yeah, so I don't know. I I may eventually stop it and just uh, devote more time to doing Buddhist stuff, but uh, I probably would take a huge pay cut. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I I enjoy it. Um, I uh, the company I work for is very directionless at the moment as far as what they want to do in America. So I'm trying to uh, work something out with them that I think is a really good deal. But uh, they don't seem to want to do it because it would mean committing to doing something. Um, so yeah, yeah, I'm still doing that. Well, thanks for talking with us today. Yeah, sure. This has been a presentation of BuddhistGeeks.com, copyright 2007. Music in this podcast provided by c for chaos For more great music and writing, visit his blog at www.c4chaos.com. Join us for the fourth annual Buddhist Geeks Conference, hosted in partnership with Mindful Cyborgs and Shambhala Sun from October 16th through the 19th in beautiful Boulder, Colorado. This year's conference will be exploring the convergence of Buddhism with modern culture and technology, 
through informative keynote presentations, idea-packed TED-style talks, self-organizing community dialogues, and contemplative workshops and practice periods. This year's list of presenters includes the world's most quantified man, Chris Dancy, abbot of the village Zendo in New York City, Roshi Pat Enkyo O'Hara, and pragmatic Dharma provocateur, Daniel Ingram, as well as many others. For more information and to register, visit BuddhistGeeks.com conference. After nearly a year in private beta, the Buddhist Geeks Network is now open for any independent practitioners who want to engage in interdependent practice. You can find out more about the Buddhist Geeks Network by visiting BuddhistGeeks.network. And if you'd like to join the community and join us in regular social meditation practice or other events that we host there in the network, all freely offered, you're very welcome to do so, again, by visiting BuddhistGeeks.network. Love to see you there.